Shalom! Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. So good evening from Christchurch Jerusalem. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm the deacon of Christchurch, and uh, we had been wrestling the last year, over a year, with the last words of Moses as we were studying the book of Deuteronomy, the last book in the Torah, uh, as Moses was preparing the people of Israel to enter the land of Israel, and we applied that uh, all those teachings to our community to this day, and I think we grew a lot and discovered a lot and uh, enjoyed wrestling with the Torah. Now, uh, we're beginning to embark on an, the epistle of to the Galatians by Paul. Small book into the New Testament, not particularly um, my forte. However, I'm sitting amongst a bunch of brothers and sisters who all have the Holy Spirit, who all bring uh, their backgrounds, uh, their joy, their love of God, and we will wrestle the scriptures together. This is a very um, powerful and informative book that influenced the Reformation, no end. Um, it also might be misunderstood, like much, perhaps, of the Bible. And so we will wrestle with the text and see, see what we can do with it. And may our love for the Messiah, for his people and the teachings therein, grow, develop, and bless, um, not just ourselves, but uh, everybody else who is listening. So... We acknowledge the presence of God. We acknowledge the presence of the Messiah and his spirit. And we will do so by, uh, by prayer. Brother Neville would be able to pray us in. Yeah. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time set aside to come before your word. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be within us and amongst us, leading our thoughts and guiding us into your truth. Father, we pray you'd inspire Aaron in his dealings with this, this epistle. And Father... Touch our hearts with the things that he, he shares amongst us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, why not we just start with the question, what do you think Galatians are about, guys, before we even open the book? Um, what's your first impressions when someone says the book, the book of Galatians? You respond with, oh, dear. No, you respond with what? Probably Paul's first letter. Okay, there you go. And, yeah. Freedom. Okay, freedom. All righty. So we've got the word freedom in there. Paul's first letter and freedom. I better start writing some of this down. Okay. What was that? What was love. that? Love. Okay, Rocky's up there with love. Okay. A book of love. Anything else? It's a book about the resurrection. Resurrection. Okay. And the power thereof that influences people. I think of the um, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Okay. You think of that, the flesh and the spirit, which is um, those terms are used in the text. Yep. Yeah. And they become a a catch cry of the Reformation. Yeah. Justification by faith. Justification yeah. by faith. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. Okay. That's good. Um, I have to admit, when I first sat down and thought, okay, book of Galatians, what do you think of, Aaron? Um, you know, the first thing that came to my hand, head was Paul's big handwriting. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, seriously, that was it? I mean, really? You didn't get you didn't get the big, you know, theological terms or anything like that, or the Reformation, Martin Luther's love of, of Galatians and and stuff. No, I, 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 what stuck out was me. See with what big hands I write this text. Um, wow. Okay. But uh, yes, I also thought the same as Aaron. Paul's first letter. And, uh, and so, what was that like? And why? Why did he write it? Okay. All right. So, bit of background. Obviously, this first session is mainly going to be background. Where are we writing? Um, who's writing it? Why is it being written and who's, who's it to? <clears throat> and that sort of background will not shape our discussion, but will give aid to some of the things that are in the text for the future. So... Paul's name appears right at the start in verse 1. And um, this is his authorship, that is, Paul wrote Galatians, is probably the least controversial part of the text. Hardly anybody actually says, no, Paul didn't write this. The actual authorship of Paul is pretty much is pretty much acknowledged by everybody. By e even Marcion agreed that it was written by Paul. Okay, and he didn't like Paul, so um, you know when your enemies are talking about you, that's pretty impressive. Um, it's a Jewish text, okay, and so I think that when we uh, go into a discussion about it, we should remember that it is is a Jewish text not written by some Gentile 300 years after Jesus. It's written mm -hmm. just after, you know, mo moments later. It's his first actual text. Um, it is not supersessionism. This is not a text about, well, church triumphant, and that's pretty much it. Okay, throw the Bible out the window. Let's just read the New Testament. Because if that was true, Markin would have loved this book. Okay, and um, uh, because that was his shtick. Uh, this is not a Christian text, as we would understand the word Christian, that is uh, Gentile. It's a, it's a Jewish text. So let's not keep it out of context. Got to put it in its context. And that will help us speak. There's a lot of themes and issues that are going to come out a lot, and I'm hoping that we will wrestle with every single one. And I'm hoping that we will have some good disagreement, some great debate, and, uh, and some prayerful incitement by the Holy Spirit that will be able to bless people who um, are listening. Okay. So when do you think it was written? Now, Aaron has probably studied a bit of this at, at college because he uh, said this is most likely his first book. And uh, why, why would you say that, Aaron? I pass on to you, which I myself received. Now, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's at least from what I've read, that seems to be what a lot of scholars believe. 
the writing isn't as complicated as some of his later letters. Okay. And it seems to be related to the controversy uh, in the book of Acts that led to the Jerusalem Council. Right. Yes. There's a, the, the dating game of the book revolves around whether this was before or after the Jerusalem Council. And um, so is the issue of uh, Gentile inclusion into the body of the Messiah, is that what feeds into and leads up to the book of Acts 15? Or has the encyclical from Acts 15 caused a problem that requires further deliberation and explanation? And you can get people arguing either either way. And it's, it's worth probably talking about it when we get, uh, get to those points. As far as we know, as far as we know, scripturally, Paul only visited Galatea on his second journey. He did it when he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go directly into Asia. He then apparently branched northward after revisiting his first circuit of uh, congregations that he founded uh, after landing at Pamphylia. And if it was indeed his second journey, it would have to be after the Jerusalem Council. Right. Because he and Barnabas had split and Paul picked up Silas as his party by then, his partner. So from your, your going on, you're saying it's after Acts 15. We have no, we have no. It would have to be if his only visit we have on record was on his second journey. Right. Not his first one. Right. Okay. Yep. So um, some of the, the debates, like if it was as clear as that, it would be easy and then all, everybody would agree, but they don't. And so I had a, a, a long read this afternoon trying to wrap my head around the dating game. And, uh, and, and, um, and there were some really good articles about how many times uh, Paul was actually on missionary journeys and uh, just because some texts say, on my first journey this, that doesn't mean there wasn't a second or a uh, third or a fourth. This just means that in terms of chronology, this was on his second. Um, this is a very interesting debate. And we'll get to it, I think, a little bit. Yeah, well, some of it depends on uh, what do you count as Galatia. That was one of the big ones. And so, um, uh Yes. So what I might do is I'm gonna, I might drop in a um, couple of pictures. So I just dropped one into the main main uh, chat box. Can everybody see that? So they're they're composed of three tribes here in the Galatians. The Galatians contrived of, of three major tribes. Um, they actually migrated from uh, the east west. So they are not the original inhabitants of what we today call the Celts, Gaul, but they become the major proponents thereof. And um, so from that, that map, have you all been able to pick it up and have a look at it? It doesn't open for me. Oh. Does it open for anybody else? Yes. Going slow, let's see. Yeah, the double click. I got, I got it open. Okay. What? What do you click on? I had to save it first. On the chat, Eric. Yeah, double click on it. Double click on it. 
And then you might go off Zoom, like it might cover your Zoom box. Oh, yeah. It does actually cover your Zoom box. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes if it's a, if a share screen or like a big thing, it'll take your Zoom away. How's that? There you go. <laughs> Does everybody see that? Yeah, I can't miss it now. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So this is just one of the maps um, provided by uh, Neville, actually. Thank you very much. And um, it, it gives a, an interesting look. Uh, Galatia has a sort of a north-south uh, feel to it as opposed to an east-west um, basis. The Galatians are not the original inhabitants of this section of Asia Minor. They are brought in as, um, uh, as mercenaries to the Bithyan king, who was a little bit north of them. Okay. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Nicomedes was his name. They arrived around 278 uh, BC. They are originally, apparently, from just around beyond the Danube, and then they migrate west. They go all the way to England and Scotland and Ireland. They also settle in France, and they also come down and help the Bithyan king as mercenaries, as apparently they were fierce warriors, uh, of which, of course, they settle. And, um, and while there are three uh, different major tribal groupings, they're all grouped as one. Like no one ever talks about um, the guys up north being any different from the, from the guys down south. They tended to just be called uh, the Galatians, the Gauls, who arrived in, uh, in Asia Minor. Um, but but they are not the modern-day Turks, right? <laughs> correct. Yes, they are not modern-day Turks. That's right. Yes, who, who migrate in also from the east, but, are much, but much later. So by the so time... Mordecai, yeah? Mordecai could have been a Cohen and a Galatian if that hadn't happened. Yeah, <laughs> Mordecai Hakalashian. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's going to be our new name for you. Okay, in, uh, in 64 BC, Pompey, Pompey, okay, um, he actually made it a client kingdom. So as part of his sort of reformation of, uh, of his little bit of the Roman Empire. And, um, and so therefore, um, it, it gained a fair bit of uh, quite a status that propelled it to being important by the time of the Book of Acts, okay? Um, being a client kingdom meant that it could do things like print money, it could uh, raise armies, it could, uh, you know, have a say in government and all that kind of stuff, okay? And um, so because we're not 100% sure, because it's like a long piece of land, Okay, running north and south, when we say, when, when we read the text and it says, to the churches of Galatia, we honestly really have no 100% idea exactly which ones we're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, are we talking about a few in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra? Are we talking about the guys in the north? Are we talking about where? What are we talking about? And, um, and so what we do have is these are a, a, a people that have a, a distinct dialect, they are speaking Greek by this stage of uh, they're not speaking a foreign language as we would know. They're not, you know, uh, French uh, bearded warriors with big battle axes. They're Greeks, okay, and, um, and have become part of the, the milieu of, uh, of the world. And um, so 
Paul's talking to these guys. And what's the big discussion that he's going to have? Why, why do we write Bible? He, like talks, what? About, he talks about justification by faith. So he's, I guess he's against the Juda Judaizers or, you know, the people that are trying to turn uh, Christianity into a religion. Because at this point, like Paul's, um, Paul's had his Damascus experience. I mean, I don't know how many years later it is, but he's, he's a Christian, right? So I'm not sure what you meant by that, Aaron. Okay. So we have a book called the New Testament. Why does Paul write it? Well, it's a collection of the letters. This stuff is the letters to the churches at the time, right? Sure. But what are those letters about? Encouragement warnings. Right. And, and now you have, uh, you have Jewish believers in the Messiah. You have Gentile believers in the Messiah. What are the requirements or non-requirements and how do you put the two together? So that's always a conflict. And how do you have them come together as a community, as a kahila, each with their own identity, but at the same time, inclusion. Okay. Okay. Like, why do we write Bible? Like, what's the Hebrew Bible like? So you start off with some beautiful poetry and creation narratives. Then you have some historical, you know, sacred history, miracles. Then you have a series of laws and books of halakha and how you live. And then you have a bit more sacred history. Then you get into the times of the prophets, which includes a little bit of history, but a, a fair bit of other corrective material. Then you get wisdom literature and all kinds of different genres that are thrown in. We call that the Bible. It's really quite an amazing book. Well, what, what is the New Testament about? Like, what, is, what are these letters that Sharon mentioned? What are they about? I think in like Hebrews chapter one gives us sort of the insight. Like in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also we made like the fulfillment of, you know, the prophecy in, in like the Torah and the different, uh, you know, in the Psalms and the different. Yes, God spoke to us through his son, but his son didn't write a book. But the way I look yeah. at it from when we studied Acts, it's he would go in and they would go to these cities and then the letters were to reinforce what, what he had done, like to make sure they'd stayed in the word. Like, right, he went and then he wrote the letters after he went to visit. So they were like, remind. I mean, reminders, right? Okay. Of what he done. Yep. And I guess um, our verse, you know, from Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, as we're created in the image of God. So the whole purpose of the Bible is how we need to shape our behavior and our, you know, our essence to the, to who he is. And so in all kinds of situations, um, how to reflect his character and, and, and knowing who he is to be able to be in his, to sell him, to be in his, his shadow. And so for me, from cover to cover, it's understanding God's will and, and then, you know, pu pushing that out to the nations and to the world. Okay. All right. 
and our but, faith, I guess, I ultimately, I guess that's what, as we get into Galatians, he's, he keeps emphasizing that, you know, it's by faith you've been saved, right? The concept of right. faith in God versus following a bunch of, I guess you'd call it Jewish rules or whatever. Right. You, you find that also in the prophets. Micah 6, 8, Habakkuk 2, 4. You already have that same theology already. It's not, it's not new. So it's it's not, always not. been by faith. Correct. It's it's faith, and it's always been by grace. Always. Right. But what? What? So Paul. Paul is writing to. Uh, I'll do another. I'll do another screen share. How's that? Let's see if I can. You see that one? That'll be a yes. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So this one is um, the itineraries, and uh, as best as well, not not the best, but uh, but a pretty good idea, you know. Paul has um, and Barnabas have been hanging out in Antioch for you know eighteen months and uh, studying and teaching and learning. Okay, he'd actually been there for quite some time, learning how to be uh, a pastor or a shepherd of a mixed Jewish Gentile community. Then the Holy Spirit comes along and says, "Separate for me, Paul and, uh, and Barnabas, and send them out." And then they they do and they go on these various uh, little little. Uh, Looks and you can see these. He goes to Antioch, Sida, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and here you have the references in the Book of Acts as to when those things came about. And these are all, as you can see, all pre four fifteen, the Council of Jerusalem. So he's established communities, and then um, then there's this. Uh, I think this is the his, his first journey. Yeah. And um, so he's, he's been there, he's made contacts, and, uh, and then he writes a letter. And why does he write this letter? Did he think he was writing the Bible? Not at the time, I don't think. But, like, I guess the concept, like, so we have the privilege of looking back in history, right? So I guess, sure. you know, it reminds me of that verse in Second Peter um, one is it verse 20 and 21 that above all you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things for prophecy never had its origin in the human will but prophets through humans spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit so wow. ultimately i think the holy spirit god wrote you know the bible from beginning to end that we have in our hands and preserved it through you know time and memorial basically Sure, I don't think anyone's going to sort of say anything about that. Um, this genre isn't prophetic, though. It's not the same as a prophet. Um, why is Paul writing a letter? Like, does he, does he, he doesn't sit up and go, you know what, I'm going to write something. A thousand years from now, they're going to start it, uh, put it in a Bible. That's going to be studied and it's going to influence the church. So I shall now... Tell everybody how to be a good Christian. He doesn't do no, that. I think, uh, Aaron, in this case, I think what's happening is that he's addressing a problem that has arisen, which yes. is true with quite a number of the letters. There's only a small number of letters that aren't centered around something that needs sorting out. Yep, yep, you're right. The, it's very interesting that the New Testament epistles are letters, corrective letters, rebukes, warnings, in response to an issue. If there hadn't been an issue, would he have written the letter? Well, most likely not. 
So what we have is a very interesting text. But there's an issue. And it's the problem that becomes the crux of the, of, the, of the teaching. We learn because some of our early brothers and sisters had a problem. And our brother Paul needed to, to write about it, felt that he needed to write about it. And he did. And, um, and we end up having the, um, the document in our hands. Not saying that the document is um, fresh, the, uh, the, the earliest papyri that we have of Galatians, I think, sits around around about 200 AD. Um, it's, it's, we don't have the actual originals. Um, they're, they're, they're not the newest things that we have by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Um, so the, it, within the text itself, it discusses the probably the largest piece of autobiography that we have of Paul. Okay. Um, Luke doesn't give us too much when he, did, when he introduces Paul in Acts. Paul doesn't give us too much in most of his epistles, but his first letter he does. This is the one that he actually shares the most amount of detail about himself. And um, we end up with a small time period. Does anyone know the, the, the number of years he describes within the text? I mean, we'll get to it when we read it, but off the top of your heads, any memory? Anyone 14 remember? years. Okay. Yep, 14 years. Any advance on 14? He spends three years also in Arabia. So there's a 17-year uh, bit of autobiography that's thrown in there. And, um, and so people, when they're trying to, trying to figure out when We've got 17 years to account for in terms of Paul's life. So when did the crucifixion occur? Any ideas, rough ideas? 30 or 33 is 30, common. 33. Yeah. 30 so those are the, the big ones, yep. Yeah. Um, you can get down to 29.30 if you'd like. Yeah, I was going to say 29. Yeah, 29.30, which is the Greek Orthodox uh, traditions. and. Uh, Yep. So 27. Yeah. So the, the reason the Greek Orthodox go for 29 is because they have, um, first of all, when was Isaac on the, uh, how old was Isaac when he was bound during the Akida? 37, they say. Correct. 37. All right. So there's your foreshadow. There's your typology, if you want to call it that. Okay, how do they come up with this wonderful number? I hear you ask. It's because <laughs> Sarah was 90 when Isaac was born. And as soon as we have the Akidah, the very next thing that happens is Sarah dies and she's 127, which when you do the math makes Isaac 30, 37. And so being Greek Orthodox, which, which is the oldest church that uh, – can, can tie itself to the early church. Sorry, guys, you know, us Protestants, we're way out of left field when it comes down to um, having connections to uh, what we call the church. They, they, um, they look at uh, Jesus being born approximately 8 BC. They want him to be the same as Isaac. 
So 37 on top of minus 8 comes up to <coughs> 29. Okay, and so they, the, there is a, uh, a debate also that's held up by earthquakes and um, eclipses and all kinds of things that this stuff was also going around on around the year 30. However, let's also be honest. Once you start going back in time that far back, the dates really do get blurry. Okay, they, they, we didn't have atomic clocks, didn't have great newspapers, we certainly didn't have the internet. And so dating can get rather fuzzy. However, there is an argument for the crucifixion to be sitting around 2930. We do know that from second, uh, from Acts 18, sorry, that Paul stood before Gallio, the procurator. Uh, Gallio. We happen to know definitely from other sources that Gallio was only the procurator up until the year 52, 51, 52. Those, those dates blend very easily together. Never 100% sure whether it's actually 51 or actually 52. And so you've now got to go back. Where do we account for those 17 years if we know that Paul is standing before a Roman procreator, Gallio, in the year 51. And so Paul's calling is most likely very soon after the resurrection. Would that not be true? That's what the book of Acts seems to imply, okay? which means his calling is sometime around 30, 31, which means once you start adding the 17 years that he describes in his own biography in, in Galatians, you get to what date? 30 plus 17 or 31 plus 17? 48. 40, 47, 48. Correct, Lani. You get to 47, 48. And, uh, and the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, has been dated to 48. Okay. And that's... Uh, I can, try and include the links into those dating games that uh, much better scholars better than me uh, come up with. And, uh, and so you're looking at, uh, that's why the debate on Galatians, whether it's pre-Acts 15 or after Acts 15, become incredibly hard to decide because they're written so incredibly close to each other. And, uh, and, um, but that's around the, the, the timing thereof of this text. And why is this important, I hear you ask? Well, it really becomes important only when you start having the rebuke that you end up with, with Peter and Paul and you start asking yourself, what is, what is Paul holding in his hand? Is he holding the encyclical from Acts 15? And if so, why doesn't he quote it? Why doesn't Peter know about it? Because he was there. Um, or... Is this actually the fuel which sparks, or not sparks, but adds weight and emphasis to, no, we really do have to sort this out, and uh, which leads you to the Council of Acts, Acts 15. I mean, some of these issues that we're going to talk about are, are huge, and they have to be dealt with in the book of Acts, and they are. But, uh, but um, we, we, we can get to see Paul's first look or crack at it. Um, as it were, before. Um, what would be some of the other uh, things to talk about before we begin? How does this one? 
Aaron, do we know why he went to Arabia? Do we have any other insight? Does anyone know like his, like the Jewish or kind of history stuff there? Okay, that's a good question. The information of Paul going to Arabia is only here. Okay, we only have it in this, in this, this is his only little bit of autobiography. Anyone want to speculate why Paul uh, shares that information in his first, um, first letter? Any idea? Um, he went to study in Arabia um, because he was just coming to the faith in Yeshua. They, he was trying to marry what he has uh, believed before and what the prophecy talks about Yeshua. So he goes away for three years and um, it's usually believed that um, he was studying and um, learning. Um, whether alone or with some people, it's not so much known. Okay. Yeah, it's just very interesting to me, you guys, that he didn't run straight to the apostles or, you know, people that were the known, known, uh, you know, converts to Christianity, right? Okay, well, why do you think he have done that? Because the 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 the, um, the converts were not very comfortable with him. They, they doubted his conversion, yes. and um, they, they thought it was a trick. That um, this this man is coming with a trick to get the rest of us. You know, <laughs> they were not very comfortable with him. So um, yeah, he, he, had to, he had to leave. Okay, because we're because we're being recorded. Um, uh, I will I will do my best to be. Um, uh, light and hold names uh, in, in confidence. But there are some uh, Jewish people who, who will not be named, who are very religious, um, who, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the leading of God, because of their studies in the Bible, um, uh, come to faith. And it's very interesting that Messianics or other Jewish believers can become quite suspicious of them. Are they really believers? <laughs> and it's it's really it hurts a lot to be to stand next to these guys and have people go, uh, "Are you a real believer?" Uh, excuse me while I punch your lights out in a loving Christian way. Um, how dare you ask that kind of question? But people do. Okay. And and without stating any names, like maybe not being accepted into synagogue into um, like seminaries because he might rock the boat, and 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 popping like for example, like it's so amazing. I think it's so fantastic how he did go to for, for those three years, hearing from the Lord, like you know, bringing it all together, bringing in a you know, the, the Jewishness of Yeshua and, and the understanding of, of all of that and not wanting to, to, to lock himself into any particular belief, but to understand it as a whole. And it's like the bubbles burst and now how to put it all together. It's so fantastic. It's, yes, uh, Paul, Paul consistently references throughout his writings the mystery of Christ that was yep. particularly revealed to him, and uniquely so. Yeah. It was a gospel that had been synthesized from all of his experiences and all of his talents and all of his direct revelations. It was unparalleled in, among the other apostles. Yes. 
he gets this experience in Arabia, which the others do not. And, uh, yeah, which is... Yeah, but to Shimshom's point, I guess that's a really good point, that, yeah, these guys are petrified of this, probably the most well-known Christian killer or convert killer or, you know, the way follower or whatever the name was back then, because they were only called Christians at Antioch, I think, eh? Which would be later on in Acts, like not like Acts one, right? So the thing is, so are we thinking that this Damascus Road experience, for example, like the brightness of it gave him this like blind eyesight problem or whatever. So therefore, like whenever he refers to that, is it sort of like a permanent damage thing or something, you know, take this thorn in my flesh away from me? Is it sort ah, of... Ah, uh, yeah. Are you wondering whether the thorn in the flesh is this eyesight thing? Huh? Yeah. I hadn't thought of that one. Yeah. Like in terms of him being like, you know, why is he writing, you know, to these big letters? Because he's, you know, half blind or his eyes are permanently slightly damaged or something? Is that what we're thinking? Uh, actually, I, I think the the usual view is that, yes, his, eye, his eyes were fading a bit. And there's another reference, I think it's uh, in Corinthians, where he's, people will say well, they offered him, you know, uh, their own eyes. If you see what I mean? So yeah. he, would, he would finish off the letters, but in his own hand and he'd have to write big because his eyesight wasn't so good. But I don't think that corresponds to the thorn in the flesh. Uh, bad eyesight with age is not a big deal these days <laughs> and then. No, but even even perhaps from seeing such the bright light that he was blinded for those three days and then somehow it came back to him. Like, what was his thorn in the flesh? But anyways, this is probably way off topic. Maybe we'll get to that later, but... <laughs> oh, actually, no, I, I don't know. I have no clue. <laughs> Any idea? Nope. Uh, no clue. Okay, just curious. The, the, the only no, actually, the the tongue of the flesh was not known, but um, from the way it's, it spoke about it, it's it's uh, probably kind of um, illness that he couldn't deal with. It didn't sound so much like the eyesight um, kind of thing. So he, he, he had this, and um, he prayed that God should take it away, and. Um, and God encouraged him in it. He said, "Yeah, my grace is sufficient. Just bear it on." You know. Yeah. Yeah. The only physical description we have of Paul is from a document that was written by some elder of a village who records a visit of Paul and Barnabas to their town. He was not a believer. He doesn't say he's a believer, and he just says there were these two people. And he names them Paul and Barnabas, and he describes their physical characteristics, and he says Paul was a short, bald man with a rather large nose, very wiry and full of energy, and we really thought he was Hermes, okay, because he, had, he just had like ADD, and, um, and Barnabas was the complete opposite, <laughs> okay, a bit more of a larger man, uh, a bit more slower and methodical and, uh, and, and, and a bit more well-built. But um, so our, our image of Paul is uh, of, of, a short, of a short little Jewish guy. Um, but, uh, that, that's our only physical description uh, if we take it as a true document. Um, some people do, some people, people don't. I can find the reference for you and I'll in, include it in, uh, in the notes. Okay. Can I pop in just for half a second? Sorry. Yes. That's to do with um, so why did he go to Arabia? Another thought. Is and we'll talk a lot about this. I'm sure in chapter four, he makes mention that Mount Sinai is also in Arabia. There's a lot of questions as to well, what's Arabia then? But 
the connection might be too where he receives this great revelation where like how Moses went up on the mountain and experienced God and later Elijah went to Horeb and experienced God. And yeah. that could be Paul at least was thinking as he went there. I think, I think you're, I think you've got hit the nail on the head somehow. I'm not hundred percent sure how to frame it, but yes, Sinai's in Arabia. Where's Arabia? Oh my gosh. Let's open up a can of worms. I have no idea, <laughs> but he does have that incredible allegory between Sinai and um, what's the other mountain? Sayir, is it? So it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's Hagar and Sarah as Mount Sinai and something else. Um, yeah, Sayir. Sayir, is it? Okay, there's a, when we get to it, it's, a, it's an incredible little piece of allegory and, and it's a very well done. But, um, yeah, he deliberately goes to Arabia and he spends these three years there and he has a unique revelation which the other apostles did not get and he includes it in his letters as rea mentioned the mystery of christ which by the way we had a a great opportunity to study with rea over the last must have been a year was it rea i think every study we do takes about a year okay just letting everybody know um uh but at, at rea's case it always involved very nice soup cheeses and breads and then a really good study we studied the mystery and lordship of christ which was awesome um, but yes, he gets a special revelation from, from the Lord, which he includes as part of his autobiography, which he does not in any other letter, but this one, this one he did maybe because it was his first, maybe he had to lay out his apostolic qualifications first. And maybe there was a, a reticence. To accept his work. Maybe there was a lot of fear of him uh, from the other apostles and, and the household of faith. Although, let's also be honest, the people from Galatia know who he is because he helped found their communities. They, they know him um, uh, probably quite well, maybe not well, but they, they know him. You know, and he knows them. Okay. All right. Um, so, Paul is writing Bible, and Bible is related to a problem. The problem becomes part of our text, and it becomes useful for teaching. Uh, it, it might have been nice if the Holy Spirit had decided to say, I'm going to write a letter about a church, the Church of Laodicea. It's absolutely fantastic. It's the best thing since sliced bread. Um, and, uh, and we'll just write a letter that will tell you the model of how all churches should be in the future, and that would be great. But that isn't what we got. And so we have to uh, acknowledge the context and see how that applies to us in our day as scripture. So who's he writing to? Okay, it's the Galatians. Who are the Galatians? There are these uh, Celts, Gauls, or whoever, largely Gentiles. Okay? Not only, okay, there, there are Jews, Jewish communities mixed with uh, these communities, because when you read the book of Acts, even though Paul says, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, you often find him in synagogues. And so there is going to be a mix, although here you'll probably find a larger portion of, of Gentiles. Who are his opponents? I hear you ask. Or even before I ask that, where does Paul get the idea of writing epistles? I mean, nobody else had been doing it. 
Any idea? Any guesses? If you're a rabbi, although he's not called a rabbi, let's let's be true. We call call him Rabbi Shaul now, although he himself does not call himself a rabbi. Okay? Neither does he meet any on his travels. Um, he calls himself Shaul Hashaliach, Paul the Apostle. Um, yeah. Who's his teacher? Gamliel. Okay, Gamliel. Gamliel is the first person called a rabbi. Remember, as we were reading Pierre K. of Vaud, uh, last Monday, we discovered the first person ever called a rabbi was Gamliel. And he was the head of the Sanhedrin. And guess what he did, which was rather unique for the time period? Wrote books. Yeah, he wrote epistles. Oh, my gosh. Yep, Rabbi Gamliel wrote three epistles. Okay, we don't have them in our Bible, because he's not a believer and... Blah, blah, blah. He wrote to other people. But Rabbi Gamliel wrote epistles. Guess who his student was? Rabbi Shaul. What does the student learn from the master? How to write epistles. Yes, how to write epistles. So he ends up writing the most number of epistles because he's got a good teacher. The other guys, the other apostles, do not have a teacher that wrote epistles. Yes, we have epistles by Peter and John and that, but Jesus did not write epistles and teach them to do so. But Rabbi Shaul, very good, I called him Rabbi Shaul, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Paul the Apostle, Shaul HaShaliach, okay, he wrote epistles because his rabbi did. And, uh, and so you end up with this, uh, this, this, this guy writing letters and Rabbi Gamliel also used a thing called an Amun. Oh my gosh, Amanuensis. Amanuensis. Thank you very much. Okay, it just shows you how bad my Greek is. Oh my gosh. Okay, and what is that in English? Secretary. Yes, it's a secretary. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so Rabbi Gamliel has secretaries. Joel has secretaries, although every now and again he signs it in his own pen. And, uh, and so you end up with this uh, very similar, very, uh, it's, a, it's a very contextual way that our Bible comes to us. Okay. Is Shaul is learning from his, his um, master. Now, uh, about 100 years ago, people were reading the book of, of Galatians and the epistles and going, wow, look at these letters and their incredible teaching and they're unique and et cetera, et cetera. And no one's ever done this kind of stuff. And then we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then we discovered, oh, wait a second. Yeah, at the time period, Jews were kind of writing this stuff. And so uh, a lot of early commentaries didn't have access to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Some of the later commentaries on Galatians have had access to the Dead Sea Scrolls. If they bothered to read them, then they would see that letters like 4QMMT, which I'll also include in the letter for those that are listening and would like to read, 4QMMT is a, is a, a, a scroll from the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's in six different fragments, and it's a halakhic letter. It reads very similar to epistles. In fact, it even uses some of the same language, okay? Including words like ma'asei ha-Torah, 
the works of the law, okay, which you will find in Galatians. And so what it means is, is that Galatians or the teaching that Shaul has experienced puts him in place to be the person to write this stuff. Right? So he is in a, he's in the right time period. He's had the right teachers. He's got the right context and the background to have the ability to write these epistles. Our other apostles did not. They didn't have this kind of, of stuff. But uh, so Paul is uh, going to be our biggest uh, letter writer in terms of uh, numbers of letters. Perhaps not volume of words, but numbers of letters. So what are some of the other things that are occurring in the time period around the year 47, 48, which tends to be a bit more closer to where we think we can date uh, this letter? Do we have massive Roman persecution against the Christians? Yes. Okay, so where do, where do we get that idea from? Temple was destroyed around that time, just, well, a couple of years before, wasn't it? No. In 8070, there was persecution under Nero in the 8060s, but not so much before then. Correct, yeah. So, so what we've got to remember is the persecution's coming, but it's not quite there yet. So what we're actually experiencing is not a persecution from pagans, but something from within the community, which is an interesting thought. Okay? I mean, it's a lot easier to, to, to point at bad guys from the outside and go, let's defend the faith. And, um, but actually... We're actually dealing with something internal, which, which we need to remember when we come to talk about what is Paul arguing about? Why is he so passionate? Why is he using incredible language? And I'm hoping that uh, REA, when it gets to that, can read the Greek to us and actually translate it for us, uh, it, yeah, <laughs> in, a, in its purest form, and we can realize just how passionate our little brother is discussing uh, this issue. It's a, it's a very internal issue for this community okay mm -hmm. um the and, persecution and, and, and is coming and, under nero that is true but that's actually in another like 10 years or so yeah it's interesting like in chapter one there you guys that he kind of establishes his authority almost like yeah. in verse, verse 11 like i want you to know brothers and sisters that the gospel i preach is not <laughs> of human origin right i did not receive it from any man nor was i taught it rather i received it by revelation from jesus christ so yeah it's, you know, we've heard about his previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God, like Shimshon was saying, and tried to destroy it. And he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his own age and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, it's a long story, but sorry. Yeah, no, but we, uh, Sharon, we will get to it. When it is time for us to, to read that, yeah. we're going to wrestle with everything Paul is admitting to. Why not? He said it. Let's. He's, he's obviously letting us. Well, it's not. What, his world. You, wrestle, you don't have to wrestle it. What do you mean, wrestle it? Well, not wrestle with it, but look at the context and, and why he says what he says and things like that. You can, I call it wrestling because that's how we describe it here in, in Israel. Um, I don't mean mud wrestling uh, in, in any other form. Okay. Um, Something right. as well, um, Aaron, is that, you know, facing the new believers in Galatia, um, 
is Paul inventing a new religion? You know, the whole concept. Ah, okay, there you is, go. And is this, you know, is this, would this so-called religion, Christianity, be superior to Judaism and the Torah, which upholds it? So right. is he, is, is it a continuation or would he, you know, is, so he's, that's that whole comment in Galatia. Sure. It's a whole and, new thing, right? Yeah. It's a whole new approach. It's a whole new way of thinking. Like if you're going to be saved by faith instead of following, you know, 613 laws, I mean, it's. Well, the it, end, here's, it's the where end. I, here's where I say it's not a new way. You're in for a treat, Darren. Yeah, because it's already there in the, in the prophets. That's why we. Yeah. Can, oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. But still the Jew, yeah. Jews are very um, like they're abiding by the law to be acceptable to god some some are sharon i wouldn't make a blanket statement that says well they're all doing yeah. that. Is there, no, that's no, just no i'm just like that's the tension here in the in the book isn't it, it it's it, a new covenant is the law in the heart you don't you know it doesn't get ditched out for grace you know sure. it's actually and, they were saved by grace and by faith and right. they were saved and because of that it's the love to follow the law and that continues with us today we're saved by faith by by by, by grace and, we, and will, by faith. we will discuss all of those yeah. beautiful terms what does yeah. faith mean what does the law mean what does the That's works exactly. of the law mean um because mm -hmm. let's yeah. remember sharon as we discussed in the book of acts when Paul goes into synagogues in Greece, what does he not say to them? He doesn't say, boy, you're nowhere near the temple. You can't offer sacrifices for your sins. You guys are dead. What the heck? Get your butts back to Jerusalem and live there permanently. What he does is he, he picks up the scriptures and says, I'm going to show you the Messiah. And I'm going to show you who this guy is and what he's done for me and why he's actually alive. I will prove to you from the scriptures that this was going to be true. And he and, and people believed in him and they didn't just suddenly go, oh, my gosh, quick, let's run to Jerusalem and, and kill some cows. They um, they uh, they so, so it's not as clear cut. Yes, I'm, I'm not going to say that there were not uh, 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 aspects of Judaism that both Paul and Jesus and us confront, even within the church, that describes a works righteousness attitude. But there were also communities within the Jewish world and Malu who didn't think that way. And, uh, and so it's not, a, it's not a blanket cross the board, oh, we'll just paint everything with a brush. Uh, we have to be very careful, keep it all in context. Uh, and that's why with this first session, I want to just give a lot of the background to who we're talking to, the world we're talking to, and why I think this is an inner, an in-house debate. The, the, the problem's internal, okay? It's, it's, uh, we've got, it's, we're, not, we're not worried about persecution yet. It'll come. My gosh, that will come. But... But at the time we're writing here, we've got uh, some very interesting issues within our community as to um, how we should approach this, this new faith uh, in the Messiah. And Aaron, will you also, I mean, we're going to start in the first verse, but when you get to it, will we go into more depth why he calls himself an apostle? 
when in access some clear definitions of what an apostle should be. Uh, and that there also is the, the ministry of apostles. So there is this big debate. So I'm, I'm yeah. sure we'll get into that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I'm going to admit that, uh, I mean, obviously, I, I think I've said this about every, every Bible study. I don't have all the answers. Um, and, uh, but I like to wrestle with the, the tensions. It's just, just what you were bringing up. How does this guy get to call himself an apostle? I mean, he does. And, uh, and other people eventually accept him as such, especially us. We do. Uh, well, the definition of apostle is that you see Jesus face to face, right? Like none of us are apostles. Is well, that that's, a, that's a good. Why don't we, when, when it comes, okay, this is going to be one thing we probably wrestle with next week, but I want everybody to do some homework. Where does the definition of an apostle come from? Who made that up? Scripture. Uh, does it? Is that what it says? Apostles are the following people? Okay, let's double check that. Okay. Know what they are in terms of. Yeah, no, it's great, Cheryl. Love it. But uh, yeah, but, but, but yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be a picture. <laughs> Look out who's an apostle. And um, REA will, of course, give us the Greek. I, I only know the Hebrew word for it. But, um, all right. So some of the other issues uh, at the time. All right. Um, boundary issues. What do I mean by boundary issues? Okay. So here we are in diaspora. Obviously, we're writing to a, a book in diaspora. We're not writing to a group of community that's living anywhere near Jerusalem or in, in uh, Haaretz. Okay. So we're, we're in Asia Minor, definitely. Galatians. Uh, we've got uh, predominantly Gentiles, but that does not mean that there are not Jews there because we know what Paul's approach was. Let's start in synagogues. And, um, and even in this early, early period of what we would call, let's call it the church, the Kehilah, the Guf HaMashiach, the body of the Messiah, the majority are Jews. That's going to be true. By the year 47, 48, the majority of people believers in Yeshua are, are Jews. Um, but what, are, what do I mean by boundary issues in the late Second Temple period? Okay. How do you recognize a Jew? Let's just say you're walking around Antioch. How, and there's a bunch of people. A thriving, beautiful, Hellenistic city. People speaking Latin. People, people speaking Greek, people, people speaking all kinds of crazy dialects from different parts of the country, trading, buying, selling. How would you recognize who was Jewish and who wasn't? Not by a white or a black hat, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're not wearing black hats and strimeels. <laughs> you see, the, the identity of a Jew is very, very... Um, fluid in that time uh, okay. because everyone that follows the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel was considered a Jew. If you go back to Acts and look at what happened in Acts, it says that um, we, had, um, um, we had Jews from every nation, not Jews from Israel. It said we had, we had Jews from every nation speaking in our language. You know, yeah. in other words, yeah. they are trying to say that other nations also had Jews. So it's, it's a, the connotation of uh, more of religion um, in, in that time. So people that get um, converted 
and begin to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, were considered Jews, even though they have different um, sects about this time. And um, the sect of Yeshua, which was um, later on, um, uh, I think was in Acts, they were called the sect of Nazarene, um, and which they accused Peter, um, Paul of being the ringleader of the sect of the Nazarene, that it's also seen as a Jewish sect. And even if you read in other um, historical books, they refer to everyone, even Christians that we call today, were referred to as a sect of Jews. And so we see even Peter, when it comes to, in, in Galatians, it, 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 um, Paul is reporting about his, his um, hypocrisy in, with, in Antioch, when the, the, when the believers came, those of the circumcision, that's the word that Peter, um, Paul is using in, in Galatians chapter 2, if we take from verse 11, he say, where he says that when the certain people from Jacob, he regularly ate with the Gentiles. But when came, he, when they came, um, he began to withdraw and separate himself, fearing those of the circumcision. Now, he used the word those of the circumcision to refer to the Jews. Um, in the sense that everyone, that's the way I see it, that everyone was referred to as Jews because they, they followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. But because in this place, the circumcision was, becomes the difference because now we see Peter trying to um, evade being, um, um, you know, criticized for eating with the, with, with, with the uncircumcised people. So it's a very fluid um, definition when you talk about gent um, Jews in those days. That's what I wanted to just pull out from there. Yeah, yeah, because so for example, like Nema maybe or Mahdi, like the Jews when they became Christians at that time, like so when they believed in just Yeshua HaMashiach, right? That Jesus was the Messiah. Like yeah. then he's the ultimate sacrifice, for example, right? So they wouldn't have to sacrifice lambs anymore, for example. Or, Remember so the people, Jews, Sharon, the Jews yeah. in Galatia aren't doing it anyway. No, but I mean the new converts. So even in Acts chapter one, say there's 3,000 that, that convert yeah. to Christ, okay, from all yeah. over, wherever they're from. Yeah. Like, like, wouldn't this completely change their Judaism in a practical sense? Like, um, in other words, if Jesus is the ultimate yeah. sacrifice now, they don't Jesus. need to keep sacrificing practically. Jesus, right. Jesus did not come to stop the sacrifice, as uh, we usually say. Um, that is the ultimate sacrifice, yes, in that sense. But he didn't come to stop the sacrifice. Remember when Jesus was brought to the temple when it was um, um, eight days? I mean, they offered a dove on his behalf, you know, because he's, um, he's part of the rituals. And whenever he asked the believers, he asked them to go and prepare the Passover. In fact, in the language, it says, Guan, where, where do we kill the Passover? So during the day he was going to be crucified, him and his disciple actually killed the Passover lamb, um, which is the, the, the physical lamb they would have killed and prepared it. Yes, then he was killed the next day, and with, it doesn't really mean that he stopped. Um, because if you go to the book of Daniel, the person that stops the sacrifice is the Antichrist. And Yeshua warned them that when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing in the um, place he ought not to stand, then you flee. And what it simply means is that it's talking about a much future event that when the Antichrist will come, he's going to stop the sacrifice. You know that Jesus coming actually had to do with the stopping of the sacrifice, but he represented sacrifice. 
because we're going to see the sacrifice come up very I think soon. That, I, mean, I agree. When the, mystery, the mystery of Christ is incredibly, uh, it's, it's more involved than just sacrifices. Our yeah. usual way, and I'd like to say, I guess I, I'm going to say things like Western Christian way of reading Bible, but that's not the correct way of saying it because it's not <laughs> too. It's, no. is, um, we, we look at words in Greek, and REA has done some, actually written some papers on this, is we think in terms of everything being a, um, uh, a payment plan. <laughs> um, it's a little, it's a lot more nuanced, nuanced than that. So it was like a spiritual thing versus a physical change or something? Well, can I say something about this? Yeah, if I understood yes. it correctly. Be, be, being a Jewish rabbi, absolutely. Speak, Mordecai. <laughs> so we are talking about the korbanot, right? Correct. Yes, absolutely, so, but, the korbanot. Yeah, but look, you know, uh, short after Jesus was, you know, ascended to heaven, the temple was destroyed. So the reason why we don't have this, uh, the korbanot anymore is that we don't have a temple. It's It has nothing to do about Jesus, I think. Until yeah. the temple was destroyed, the apostles and early believers actually went to the temple and sacrificed. Still, I think. So but, it was destroyed in 70 AD by Nero, is it? Or whoever? Is that what Yeah, you mean? with the Romans, yeah. Yeah, the Romans destroyed it. And that, up till then, it's, the sacrifices were being offered. And you notice that the, the apostles never stopped going to the temple. In fact, the way they, 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 they tried to stop them from going to participate in the temple. I said, don't yes. speak in this name again. But they still show up and they continue to speak in the name of Yeshua in the temple. All right. So All right. they were still involved. When Jesus cured the leper, he said, go and present yourself to the temple. And he had to take to a call yes. temple. So it just, it continues. And the whole thing about the temple, a lot of it is also for deep talk, like, we're toxic, we're toxic, and, and, and God cannot be around things that are toxic. So there's a lot of this cleansing, this detox to concept as well. Yes. Can, can I ask one question, and, if you don't mind, just on the subject? Why in Hebrews then is it very clear, assuming Paul writes it, whoever writes it, very clear that it says you cannot, why are you crucifying again? You cannot do that. Because you you can you cannot go again and ask for forgiveness of your sins through an animal when you've proclaimed Jesus Christ. That's but impossible. The korbanat korbanat is only not only about the sins. There are many yeah. different korbanats. So like, I get that, but the yeah. biggest one is sin. And no, that's only um, no, the, the biggest korbanat is not actually the ketat, which is the sin offering. We have three main we have three main kobanot and um, we have the shalamin, which is very very important for us, which is, which we refer to as the peace offering, and we have the the olah, the one that completely goes up, you know. And these three um, major ones, they are the ones that actually dictate how we relate to even each other. It's not about just what we do to God. It's it's a teaching that. Um, it's embedded in the Torah that makes us to know that 
um, in the Ketat, if you sin against your brother, you sin against anybody, you have to repent. You have to ask for forgiveness even from your brother. But, but in the Shalamim... But then why wouldn't Christ be the end of everything else? Because he is our peace offering. He is that forgiveness. I, I'm not saying Jewish people shouldn't be Jewish, but I cannot understand why they would go back under the law. Because even Paul says to, to uh, Peter, why, why aren't you eating with Gentiles? Now, the law strictly forbade them to do that. Actually, so, no, they didn't. That's the thing. Yeah, there's a difference between the rules and the law. The rules yeah. were created by man, and law comes from yes. the God. Yeah. What I was leading to, Vida, uh, in this yeah. discussion is, is um, and, and Paul is going to use some incredible language, and I really want to discuss it. What does he mean by works of the law? What does he mean by Israel? What does he mean by, you know, uh, the, the, all these issues. I mean, these are, these are incredible. This is an incredible book, very foundational stuff. We're going to wrestle with it. And when I say wrestle, I mean in a positive sense, Sharon. Okay. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, what I meant by that is like it seemed like a stated fact. Like it didn't seem like it was, yeah, wrestle with it. Okay. It is. You know, he says something. Okay. Whatever. Like the boundary issue. Like, how do you recognize the Jew? Let's go back to that question. And, and hopefully you'll understand why I'm asking it. Here we are in outside the land. We're walking around a Hellenistic city. How do I recognize a Jewish guy? Right. Well, with, mean, uh, with many things, actually. Okay, go for it. I mean, the payos, the tzitzit. I don't know the way he looks. Okay. It's so, diet. Okay, diet. Yeah. Okay. Well, obviously, I can't see diet. It, 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 over time, I can. Obviously. Or, circumci or circumcision. Well, well you don't see, see it. that either. You don't I'm, see not, it. I'm really going to walk up. <laughs> no, I said, yeah. yes. I said, walk up to oh, a stranger and lift his because I always. I said, you can't always see the food yeah, or or the in perhaps in perhaps a bathhouse or something. I might notice that, but but not normally. So wearing talents. Yes, there, there, your, obvious, your obvious initial thing would be some sort of clothing or some sort of uh, like uh, way that they can the pay or sidsi, things like that. But some Jews didn't do that. They're Jewish, but they didn't wear sidsi, they didn't wear pay because they might not have been you know, following the, the Torah because they're still Jews. The Sabbath. Right? One, one yes, one. The, the nose. Well, okay. <laughs> okay, maybe. The, festivity, uh, the festivals, the seven feasts days. Oh, well, one one way would be my neighbors seem to stop working one day a week. My neighbors seem to have Shabbos, Shabbos. Shabbos. But also was also the um, the food issue in terms of behavior as a group. That it doesn't say thou shalt not eat with Gentiles. Halakhically, it had become a rule based on other written rules that had now been um, had fences around that the food of a Gentile, even the dishes of a Gentile, made food unclean. And so, or they called it called unclean hands. Yeah, that's the way it's described in, in the Talmud and. And things like that. It became very popular after the return of the first exile during the time of Israel. 
that's when they began to uh, really divide, um, separate themselves from Gentiles. You know, you remember Israel had to make them to get off their Gentile wives, you know, and all those things. So it, it became very pronounced later on. It builds, yes, Shimshon's right. They, they begin to build on this uh, social separation. So much so that even in the temple, you ended up with a, a divided area. Parts of where Gentiles could go and parts where Jews could go. And uh, Paul happens to mention that as the wall of separation has been taken down. Yeah. So that's another, another issue. So, so there was this boundary issue that uh, Jews and Gentiles had in the ancient world that included food. Food was an incredible big deal. Um, in the in the ancient world, and it is in in our modern faith. Not only do Jewish people have the Shabbat dinner, which is a big deal, and every festival in the Bible has something to do with food, but um, for for Christians, those that are that the Gentile Church, one of their big things is the the Lord's table. That part of your worship involves eating and drinking something. The the taste you use the sense of taste as part of your your worship, and you do so as a group, as a, as a community. And uh, the exclusion, there are some that cannot have it, and there are some that can have it. Uh, and so in the ancient world, there was a, um, uh, a food issue between Jews and Gentiles, that Jews who were, who, who were following um, a halakhic interpretation could not eat uh, with Gentiles. They could invite Gentiles to their house, but they couldn't go to a Gentile house. And so that was one of the reasons why Peter, when he yeah, crossed he the Rubicon, yeah, the guy walked. He was grossed out. He was grossed out. Was, so yes. God, had, God had to show him that you cannot Jerusalem. call them. In yes. Here. yes. And he can't believe it. He's, you know, the Holy Spirit's come down on these guys and they're prophesying. He's like, well, I may as well eat something now because I've, I've got absolutely no excuse. I mean, I'm, I'm like stuck. He crossed the Rubicon grown up about uh and this is one of the issues we're going to see in galatians is this food separation and this boundary right so the, the, not the, yeah the four, right like the four those four requirements and then people say that is that all that is required or is that just the beginning of the requirement so it is such an internal issue as we're just fleshing it out right here as we're talking about it it's going to get really Really, uh, very amazingly interesting. I hope, I hope so. Yeah. yeah, but I'm also going to continue, continue to put my little caveat. I don't have answers per se, other than I like to study and wrestle with it. I'm sorry, I'm don't worry, to- Aaron, we're not looking to you. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay. Um, so the, another, another, another status at the time of this, of this, uh, this, in this time period is the God-fearer, and that's going to play a a big role when it comes to Galatians uh, mm. 6. Okay, who are the God-fearers, I hear you ask? Cornelius. Uh, well, that's well, Cornelius is one of them. Okay, these are Gentiles who love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they stay, stay Gentiles. And they know they're Gentiles. And Gentiles went to the synagogue as God-fearers and worshipped. And how do we know this? Because we have archaeological evidence where they actually write, the members in our congregation are the following people, and they actually give them. These are the Jews, these are the God-fearers, and these are the proselytes. And so um, uh, you have uh, this status. People knew their status when they went to a community, and and God-fearers knew 
that they were not the same as Jews because they weren't Jews. So Jews could do certain things. God-fearers could do certain other things. And so uh, we're going to have this we're gonna have this issue when in this new community, there's no such thing. Right? Suddenly, we're going to find a, a new yeah. community where they say, wait a second, God-fearers have the same social standing as Jews do in the Messiah. Yeah, but it's not really a, but so to Vita's point that everything changes now with the coming of Messiah and his fulfilling of, you know, so many things, right? Well, again, we've d- discussed this before, Sharon. What do you mean by the word fulfill? Okay, it's we're not supersessionists. We haven't thrown off the Old Testament. What's that, that, what's that mean, supersessionists? Where um, uh, the church has now superseded Israel. No. No, I don't believe that at all. Yeah, yeah, right. However, that and and ma- many of us obviously wouldn't say that. However, sometimes the way we talk, our disciples will definitely come to that conclusion. <laughs> well, Paul's life completely changed. Anyway, you slice it, he was killing Christians and then he stopped. Oh, like, I yes, don't know what you call that, but that's transformation of some sort. Oh, <laughs> I'm not saying that that's not transformation. No, many murderers who have come to faith have become very nice people, and all of us should be transformed uh, to have the mind of the Messiah. And our behavior should change, absolutely. Agreed, um, yeah. Correct. What, we're, what, we're, what, what the issue in Galatians isn't that we're not being transformed, we're all being transformed. The issue in Galatians is, is now some, some big issues of the relationship now between uh, Jews and Gentiles in terms of boundary issues and food, the relationship that Jews and Gentiles have vis-a-vis this thing called the works of the law, okay? Not the law, the works of the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so remember, the same Paul who writes Galatians is the same Paul who writes Romans much later. And in Romans, he has a very high appreciation of Torah. So you've got to put a no, 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 it's not a lack of value for the Torah, but Mahdi, was was Paul being a good Jew when he was killing Christians? He would have thought so. Well, but then. that's not the reality, right? Because Correct. Torah forbids us, you know, from killing each the people. And, and also, let's also remember, Sharon, that Paul, while he learned some things from his, his rabbi Gamliel, how to write epistles and things, he certainly did not listen to Gamliel's teachings. So Gamliel in the mm. book of Acts, what does he say to the Sanhedrin? Don't fight this movement. If it's of God, it will stay. If it's not of God, Correct. it will fail. So, so the, 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 the master says, don't do this. Don't fight these guys. If this is from God, you're fighting against God. Stop it. And what does his disciple do? The opposite of what the master said. Yeah. So... So our first initial reaction to Paul is, boy, you're a bad disciple. You're not listening to your heart. Yeah. And, um, and he gets a very special encounter probably because of it. But, but you know, these kinds of things that, that will... And again, we should not view Paul as, you know, killing Christians. We, we're viewing Paul as killing, in his own mind, um, he's killing um, people that have um, perverted the way. Uh, you know, in his own mind, uh, because these are Jews, but they are doing something he doesn't understand at that point in time. So he's not seeing them as um, 
if a different religion, but he's seen them as people that are going to alter the ways of the fathers, of their, of their ancestors. I mean, in a sense, you're right, because Paul calls himself blameless um, yeah. under the law. Yeah, and you struggle to feel like, how did you come up with that saying? <laughs> but he does, doesn't he? I don't know how he manages to pull that off. <laughs> because his sins has been forgiven and he knows and so he could say that <laughs> I mean you remember he said that I'm the chiefest of all sinners you know I mean it's, uh, you know it, it began to grow when they, after, later on when he says I'm the chiefest of all sinners um, but later but before then he says I'm the I'm, what word did he use he says I'm greater than all the apostles that was how he described himself first. Then later on, he says, I'm the chiefest of the sinners. Then the last time, the last time he really brought himself very low because over time, he began to see that, yes, it's by grace that he's saved. Yeah. 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 And again, Paul is not coming to start a new religion. It's continuing. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah. It wasn't a new religion. Um, it's a 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 kind of conflict of interpretation um, that existed during the time of um, um, Jesus and the other apostles. Um, I mean, if you go to the Old Testament, you don't see words like um, the Sanhedrin. You don't have things like the Pharisees or the Sadducees. All those became a new invention. We talked about this during some of our discussion and. Um, People begin to fraternize um, to, according to their belief more than how they are put in tribes. You know, formerly you had the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Judah, but now you're seeing people calling themselves Pharisees, the of the, of the sect of the Sadducees, and um, you know the Essen, and you know the other people. And it's all about how they view what their worldview was about the scripture. And, um, and the same thing Yeshua came to do. He came to align people properly to the script, to the, to the real view of the scripture, not to um, what the rabbis have been teaching. Right. And we're going to hopefully wrestle with some of the things that Paul has learned from Jesus himself on Arabia that he then has to share with the Galatians due to the unique context that the issue that this, well, not unique, but that, that, that this issue has sprung up within the Gentile church. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an issue that has to be dealt with. Paul deals with it. And, uh, and I think then it's even dealt with better, or not better, but dealt with it again um, in, in Acts 15, which comes on the heels of this. This is my opinion. I could be 100% wrong. Um, but, uh, anyway. All right, guys. That was our background. Any other comments on the background to our um, discussion? So the most non-controversial part of the background, Paul wrote it. Just about everybody agrees with that, okay? Even the bad guys. Okay. Um, who's it written to? Well, it's written to Galatians. Who are the Galatians? Galatians are a group of immigrants that have appeared about 300 years before this is written. They are what we today call Celts or Gauls. They are originally um, from, the, from the Danube. Uh, they have become quite Hellenized, although they are a separate community. They were fierce warriors who ended up 
initially starting their, their little community as warriors, the Bithian kings, their little empire isn't very round. It's rather elongated uh, in terms of what it appears on the map. Uh, there are various tribes and um, uh, they, 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 as a community of Gentiles that are coming to faith in this Jewish religion, I'll use that word to start with, there's an issue. And Paul brings up a lot of themes in this epistle. His book is the, his first epistle bears personal information that is unique. There is, he does not share this much about himself in any other epistle. Uh, we have a 17-year time period, which he himself describes, uh, putting this as, as following on the heels of his conversion experience. Um, then you end up with a, a date very close to 47, 48. We know it has to be definitely before 51, where, which is Acts 18. Um, and... Uh, and, uh, and so that's roughly the, uh, the idea. His teacher, Gamliel, has begun the style of writing epistles. So the idea of writing epistles is very late in the Second Temple period. Gamliel started, also the first guy called the rabbi. Paul picks it up. He's learned it and he ends up um, writing it. It is not the only halakhic letter. That is a letter that deals with halakha, what you should and shouldn't do, and and, uh, the, and works of the law. Because when you get to the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were not accessible to a lot of early scholarship, that was a very late find from the 1950s and 60s until it, until it comes published and available to everybody. And then you find other Jewish halakhic letters of the time period that bear exactly the same language, you suddenly realize that these issues are actually very contemporary around uh, what Paul is dealing with. And, um, uh, and there's an issue at the time of boundaries between Jews and Gentiles, largely with food. Not only was it to do with paganism and idolatry and things like that, those are very obvious, but what even if you happen to like a Gentile, what could you actually do with him? Could you eat with him? Could you fellowship with him? Where could you do that? And those were some very big, big issues, all of which begin to appear uh, in, in the book of Galatians. And because we have the risen Messiah and the, the spirit of God and, and some fresh understanding of the mystery of Christ by Paul, he's got some things to say about it, which we will start to unpack, beginning with chapter one next week. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.